man, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no, none taken. That is right, none taken. Uh, I am the Movie Moron, and this is the Movie Moron podcast. Um, and this is our uh, third uh, episode covering uh, the Tallgrass Film Festival. Tallgrass uh, Film Festival! Um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about all of the feature films. You um, should have already listened to us talk about all the shorts. Uh, that was a nice three hours and ten minutes of us talking about all the shorts that we saw and highlighting all the filmmakers. Um, but that was like, uh, let me see if I have a number here, 190 shorts that were shown um, at Tallgrass Film Festival. And we at least uh, uh, named the directors and producers of it. And then, um, and if we did get the chance to see it, we gave a couple thoughts on it. So uh, we're going to be doing the same thing here for all the narratives. Um, and then... Uh, well, not just the narratives. Sorry, the features. I I don't know why every time I... And the other things. I just say narrative whenever I'm thinking of a full-length film, and that's not true. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk about all the features that were uh, shown at Tallgrass Tall Grass Film Festival. Maybe we didn't get to see them all, but we'll at least uh, name them and then uh, be able to say the directors, producers. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if we did watch it, we'll give a couple thoughts. Um, so, yeah, if you haven't listened to our other two episodes, go check those out. Um, and then we're going to have one more uh, come out over the next couple weeks, which is interviews with some of the filmmakers. And then lastly, Trevor made a video um, about uh, just showcasing the whole experience uh, there at, uh, you know, his uh, video of uh, Tallgrass Film Festival that you guys can see. And then a few interviews from the people, um, some filmmakers, some people that uh, volunteered, some people that uh, uh, ran it. And then... Yeah, just kind of talking to a bunch of different people. So uh, you can check that out at our uh, uh, the Movie More on YouTube page, and you can subscribe there. Um, all of our episodes are on there as well. So do it if you want to look at us talk as well as listen to us talk. You can uh, watch us there, um, but then you can also see his video and kind of see um, what it is like uh, feet on the ground. Um, if you didn't get to go, you can kind of see what it feels like, what it looks like. Uh, and all the different people you'll meet. So, uh, I guess we can get right into it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I will, of course, introduce my practical co-host, Trevor, who's already That's said me. a couple words. What's up? And then our all-time uh, guest, Tristan. Hello. Um, but, yeah, now we will uh, break into all of the movies. Um, break into the end. So, this one's going to be a little bit different than our shorts because I have a different uh, page showing me the... Um, uh, movies and stuff so it's kind of all over the place it's, it's categorized by what group they were submitted in um oh. so it'll kind of be all over the place oh well it won't be any kind of structure of when they played or anything so mm -hmm. um just a warning to any, any of you uh listening or waiting for us to talk about your movie um we're not starting with thursday movies first or anything so um first one on here uh is the documentary features um that thing that sound um, which was directed by uh, Kelsey Hammer, uh, Park, and Nathan Emerson. Uh, producer was Nathan Emerson. And uh, I believe Trevor. I did see that one, Easton. Yeah. Yes. So you can kind of give a couple of your thoughts. There's 50-plus <clears throat> films in this feature category, so we're not going to spend 30 minutes on each movie, obviously. <laughs> I don't think you want to listen to us talk for 12 hours. Or I don't think we want to record for 12 hours. So um, we'll just do the similar thing. Uh, you can spend a little bit more time because we're not doing 190. But uh, 
uh, yeah, just a couple thoughts on it and and then go from there. Rock and roll, man. That thing that song is uh, about the steel guitar and it's uh, how it has been integrated into music, uh, starting in country music and then how it's elaborated from that. It is also, they didn't get a chance. He talked about it in the Q&A, but, did not talk, but they didn't show it in the film. Uh, how the steel guitar, which it has a different name in Hawaii, but like that kind of sound in Hawaii that you hear, that's the same instrument. Um, no, it was, it was, uh, it's a really neat community of steel guitar players and they all very much support each other. And yeah, it was kind of funny. They, they all kept talking about how, uh, people say that it's a, a, uh, quote unquote dead instrument or it's a dying instrument. The whole shtick of the movie in general was the steel guitar is an instrument primarily played by white men over 60 and then proceeded to show us a bunch of people under 60 that <laughs> play it professionally yeah but the, but they all kind of had the same idea but i was kind of like well it doesn't feel like it's dying but i mean if you're only showing still guitar players then i guess then that shows that but no i enjoyed it and i talked to nathan um a couple times and he's a really approachable guy and he was a music journalist he or he is or was studying to be a music journalist when he made this and no, I had, a, I had a good time with it. Lots of good music. You should definitely... I think I made a tweet on the movie more on Twitter about it. Uh, the Sacred String Guitarist, I think. Or the Sacred Steel Guitarist. You'll have to check this where to find out. Uh, it's a gospel group uh, that features a steel guitar. And yeah, they're, uh, had they it showed them playing quite a bit. And I really thought that was cool. Sweet. Um, so the next one on it, I don't think anybody watched. Um, I could be wrong though. Was uh, the Art of Rebellion, um, and that was directed by uh, Libby Spears, um, produced by Abigail Dinsey, uh, Libby Spears, Sam Hook, Katie Wood, and Susan Loftra. Um, and I do believe we had somebody um, for this next movie, and and like I said, uh, we're going to name every movie, uh, even though we didn't get to see your movie, uh, Libby Spear. Uh, we just wanted to recognize that you made it into the film festival. A lot of people uh, got to see it, and I'm sure they enjoyed it. Uh, there were just a lot of movies, and so we couldn't catch all of them. So, um, but we still want to recognize you making it to Tallgrass Film Festival. And uh, um, yeah, so next movie on here was the uh, Mojo Manifesto: The Life of Times of Mo, uh, Mojo Nixon, which I believe Trevor saw. I did. Um, that was directed by Matthew uh, Eski. And then produced by Eva Radke and Sal Owen. Cool. Uh, Mojo Nixon was a uh, uh, rock and roller. I don't remember what exactly they called it. Red Redneck Rock or something like that, I think. It was, I don't remember. Uh, he. Uh, it was a fun and I thought a pretty interesting way to show that story uh, like it's so it start the whole movie is split up into chapters okay and I think it's like one through eight but it starts with five and then it goes and then it goes five six one two three four seven eight nine or whatever like this but that was kind of a oh, I like that concept I remember thinking that was neat um he was involved in a few bands kind of a a drifter a little bit talked about how he biked across the country with a couple of his bandmates uh he kind of uh, he his his band was actually there. Him and his band was actually um in the theater with us, which was kind of cool. I'm almost surprised just based on how wild he is and was that he wasn't a little more rambunctious during the showing. Um, but maybe he had some of his band members to calm him down or something. I don't know. But no, it was a 
So if you want to, if you like rock and roll, definitely check out Mojo Nixon. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who didn't get to attend, uh, a cool thing that they got to do uh, for two different movies, I believe, but this one specifically, uh, the band uh, played at Brickyard uh, pretty much at the same, like right after, yeah. uh, and kind of overlapping their documentary. But nonetheless, they uh, they were there and performed, so you could have listened and, and seen that documentary and then gone and uh, listened to them play. Um, which we stepped in a little bit. We were watching a different movie, Trevor and or Tristan and I, um, and we stepped in for a minute and uh, heard the the very heavy rock and roll. It's um, yeah. And it was uh, it was packed, um, and so we were like, we dipped out because it was just too packed, too loud, yeah. and we were just trying to chill uh, and listen to music. And uh, I'm I should have known. I've gone to Brickyard many times. It's not a chill <laughs> spot. Um, but they even had like, uh, some cool Indian appetizers that were apparently gone very fast, uh, provided by, um, somebody, I don't know if it was filmmaker oriented or, Mm, yeah, or what, but it, it was like highlighted, like, Hey, we're going to have this like interesting cuisine. Um, anyways, maybe that's why it was packed. I heard a lot of people <laughs> saying that they were upset that they didn't get any. So, oh man, because it uh, it was gone quick. Yeah. But uh, nonetheless, uh, yeah, that was a cool thing that uh, Tallgrass got to yeah. put together. So, um, the next one, uh, which we all wanted to watch and all could not watch, and we're very upset by the Pez Outlaw. I even tried to find it on the virtual pass, and it wasn't there. It is not. Yeah. Yes, that was one movie that was uh, in person only. Um, so. We dropped the ball on that one. We'll try to figure, <laughs> find yeah. out how to watch it eventually, yeah. uh, because we had a lot of people say that it was really good. Um, this is directed by uh, Amy uh, Bandon uh, Storkel um, and Brian Storkel, uh, and also produced by those two. Um, I don't know much about the the movie other than it was something to do with Pez dispensers, and everybody said it's a really fun documentary. So. Uh, I think we all just had stuff going on that we had to hit beforehand. So. I just looked it up online. Uh, if you have this, you, you'll be able to watch it. Uh, it is You can watch it on what's called Real Chill on your Roku device. So if you have a Roku device, you should be able to watch the Pez Outlaw. Sweet. Yeah, awesome. Um, the next block we have is female uh, filmmakers. Uh, the first one being A Place in the Fields. Nope. Anybody watch that one? Okay. Not a problem. Um, director was Nicole uh, Misha, uh, produced by her, Don Pieta, and uh, Haley Alm. Uh, man, I had some easy names to start, and now now they're yeah. already picking up and uh, getting a little bit harder. But uh, nonetheless, uh, that yeah, she, she had a film, uh, a feature uh, called A Place in the Field. Um, the next one we did have somebody watch, uh, Deconstructing Karen, um, directed by Patty uh, Ivins Specht, uh, produced by Catherine um, Mon- Montgomery, uh, Michael Ivey, and then Jessica Lippman. And then, yeah, Trevor did see this one. Do I have to talk about No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, based off... I mean, Easton and I kind of talked. I think he looked up some stuff about it or he talked to some people. I talked to somebody that went and watched it. Yeah. It, this seemed, this, this seems to be pretty split on. So the movie is about, um, there's this, there's this organization called race to dinner, which is basically, uh, these two women, both people of color who, uh, confront a group of white women on 
if they're racist. And the the whole idea is to kind of guilt them into admitting. And their whole reasoning behind it is, like, oftentimes you need to be aggressive in order to break habits. So, like, this had some good stuff in it. However, the the film itself seems to be pretty divisive with the audience and who and who watches it. Um, Which, so. I mean, just from a synopsis, it would be understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah, so. it seemed like an interview between three people and one or two other people. Um, it's a whole dinner. It's it's yeah. three. Yeah, it's it's two people and then kind of a helper, and then it's about seven women um, that they're addressing all together. But no, I think I think the organization uh, has good intentions. Like I said, I don't know if this film necessarily <laughs> puts puts it in the best light. I don't know. It's it's an interesting one for sure. Yeah, the person I talked to also thought that it uh, had some aggressive. Um, There's definitely aggression in it, yeah. Yeah, which was off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm sure that was a piece that they were going for. Yeah. So, uh, And some people will some people will like it, and other people were not, and want mm-hmm. things to be a little bit uh, softer and conversational rather than aggressive and confrontational. Yeah. And, yeah. And that's, so. yeah, and that's, I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole for hours on how to approach <laughs> the race topic. Yes, but. yeah. But yeah, but they're out there trying. So yeah, um, the next one, uh, which I don't believe we had anybody see, was called "God Save the Queens." Uh, that was directed by uh, Jordan Danger, produced by Cecile uh, Cubio, uh, and then executive producer uh, Lainey uh, Goodry. Um, and then the next movie we had, which I actually got to see, uh, was Klondike, um, directed by Oh Man. Um, <laughs> this is not happening. Uh, this is a Ukrainian uh, movie, and these are Ukrainian directors, and I am not going to be able to say these Ukrainian names at all. Um, I will attempt to, but if you want to see them correctly, just Google uh, Klondike film, and you'll get it. But it's uh, Marina uh, Gorbach was the director. That one's fairly easy. Then Maria Gorbach uh, Meh- Mehmet. Uh, Bader, uh is the, is a producer, and then Savatoslav Bokskivy. That sounds close. Boom. Um, okay, so I did see this film, uh, and this film is actually um, uh, we found out later uh, is possibly coming up for some Oscar talk. Um, so that was cool to get to see something um, that's kind of in that uh, realm, and it's because uh, this film is about. Uh, the Ukrainian skirmish in 2014. And um, it's it's obviously a uh, relative situation or, you know, that's happening now. So it's just it's just kind of was released in the right time period. Um, and it's by a uh, female director. Uh, it's made in Ukraine by Ukrainians. So it's a... Um, foreign film uh all the way through and so i think that that's what the category it's it's kind of going up for and trying to make a oscar push for um because it has the the narrative ba- you know it's got the oh, what's the word that everyone says that you have to have um to get an oscar a certain je ne sais quoi no. <laughs> <laughs> no you just have to have a i don't know narrative around it i i can't think of the right word there's a word that oscar movies have to have people talking about it and and a um, 
It has to be a buzz. Yeah. Um, there's a different word for it that I can't find right now, but it's okay. Um, but yeah, it's just, uh, the movie itself is extremely good. Um, it's got, um, absolutely beautiful scenery. Um, our main actress in the movie is really, really good. Um, I think the actor, our main actor was a little bit less good, but I don't know if it was necessarily him or the character he was trying to play. Um, cause he's a very hard, uh, misunderstood character, I guess. Um, anyways, the, the whole movie focuses around this, this couple, um, that lives just on the Ukrainian border of Russia, uh, during a skirmish in 2014, uh, and in the middle, a plane was shot down, uh, very close to that area and Russians are sort of invading into Ukraine and, uh, the Ukrainian people have to decide whether they are uh, fighting for Ukraine or fighting for Russia. And it just depends on who comes to your house if they decide to kill you or let you survive because you're either, uh, fighting for the Russians or Ukrainians. So it's a hard place to be in because if you want to say that you're fighting for the Russians and then the Ukrainian people come up to you, they'll just kill you because you're a traitor. And then if you are uh, a Ukrainian fighter and the Russians who are invading your country show up to your house, they just kill you because you're an enemy. And even though they're just, they're literally just farmers. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's just a very difficult situation um, that is shown very well. Um, it's uh, very depressing, uh, very harsh. Um, but yeah, scenery and shots were fantastic. Really good lead actress. Um, it's extremely brutal. Um, but yeah, I think it's got a shot. I mean, it, like I said, it, it fits the, um, current climate, uh, with the Ukrainian war right now. Uh, and it accurately depicts how scary it is to be a civilian in that, like in that world. Uh, so yeah, um, yeah, really good film uh, by her, and uh, heard a lot of people talk about how much they loved it too. Um, so yeah, uh, the next one is Refugee, uh, which I don't think we had anyone see, uh, but that one's directed by Aaron Bernhardt uh, and Den Blankenship, and then producer is Aaron. Oh, same people. Um, the next section we have here is the gala films. Uh, first one being All Man, the international. Male story, uh, directed by Brian Darling and Jesse Finley Reed. I don't think we had anybody see that. I don't think so. Okay, wait, say it again. What was uh, that? All Man, the International oh, Male no, Story. Sorry. Okay, uh, Tristan, I did see this one, however. Uh, Four Samosas, uh, directed by Ravi Kapoor, uh, and then produced by Ravi Kapoor, Vink, uh, Putla, uh, Rajiv, uh, Mercur, Mercury, uh, and then Craig's. Uh, Stovall. Um, so I'll let you start with your thoughts on this one. Um, so yeah, Four Samosas, this was one of the gala films. Yeah, it was great. I really liked it a lot. It gave me some hardcore Napoleon Dynamite vibes, which I'm all here for. I liked the um, whatever effects that the camera had, like the colors of the whole thing. Yes, it's uh, it's shot in a, the, I don't know, the very high film ratio. What is it like nine something? That nine millimeter or something? Yeah. Anyways, it's shot in a, in a with a specific camera and it's got the uh, a ratio, so it's a square. Oh, thirty five. Uh, yes, thirty five. Um, 
And then uh, they also put a uh, very uh, like orangish tent mm-hmm. on the entire screen because mm-hmm. uh, it's based in California. So I think it was supposed to show that like just how hot it is and stuff, just the dry heat. Um, but yeah, they had a they had a filter over uh, yeah. the whole film. It was fun. It was funny. It was a, a good story of like friendship and coming together and i'm a sucker for that so (laughs) yeah uh the film is basically about four absolute idiots um trying to either try to fall in love through an absolutely stupid way um and so it's a comedy through and throughout uh or i mean you could also call it a rom-com if you like uh much more of a rom-com than than what we watched last night (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh but nonetheless uh yeah this was this was really funny um I am glad that uh, I think uh, that there was a and a afterwards and um, the producer slash main uh, actor uh, or lead actor said uh, that his character was stupid. Like that was kind of the point how they were like writing the character. I'm like, I'm glad I didn't just think like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, this movie is just for idiots. Um, but they said that. So I was like, OK, cool. Like that was the purpose. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if like they were trying to write them to be absolute idiots or if like they were just supposed to be kids. But anyways, um, were samosas a part of the movie? Uh, very, very small part. Yes. Yeah. He said there was supposed to be a deeper meaning to it. So there's four main characters. Yeah. And then I think it was supposed to, how they're like light and delicious or something or cause uh, samosas is a food. Yeah. It's an Indian food. I, it's a fried or baked pastry with a spicy potato filling. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was supposed to be like, describing the characters yeah our four characters they're a little uh, spicy yeah. they had little chunky potatoes <laughs> yeah there was like there was a time that they came up that they went back to later and... yeah <clears throat> um i thought i thought it was clever yes yeah i liked the title of it yeah no I, I had no issue with the title at all i don't think you have to have a title that is said during the movie or no, anything. Right, right. so no i had no issue with the with the title at all i didn't understand it until the director said it yeah but i also didn't care like i saw that there were four main characters and like oh that makes sense it's we're good yeah well i didn't catch that the samosas in the film until he yes. said it later and i was like oh that makes total sense so if you're I smarter wasn't. than us yeah or paid attention more you would you would know um but uh yeah, this comes out uh, in theaters in December. December second. Um, yeah, Woo. I uh, I do highly recommend watching it for just a fun. Me too. Yeah, just a fun comedy date night. Like you'll definitely get some laughs. Like I said, mm-hmm. uh, Tristan said you you've got some Napoleon Dynamite um, feels to it. I a hundred percent agree. Uh, there's a scene towards the end um, where uh, uh, you get a Napoleon dance, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> similar ish, I guess. Uh, but overall, you know, you just have teenagers that are just kind of acting like idiots, like you do in Napoleon Dynamite. It's got that same feel to it. just in real life. Yeah, <laughs> for real. <laughs> yeah, just awkward teens. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it's also uh, really cool to see because uh, it's a different culture as well. You're uh, following uh, the Indian community in California. They have, there's a town in California that's basically all Indian people. Little India. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's not the actual town name. That's the nickname of it. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's there. So you get to see so they have Indian style restaurants yeah. and yeah. shops and mm-hmm. all yeah. that. Nice. Yeah. 
Um, and arranged marriages cool. and stuff. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I thought that was in the movie, but it wasn't. It was something else. I don't know if that's a thing anymore. No. Oh. Well, I'm sure it is in places, but yeah. um, I, I thought it was in the movie, but it wasn't. <laughs> um, Tristan wants me to go to the next one. Yep. <laughs> Rude. We're just uh, taking too long. It's a wonderful movie, everyone. Go mm-hmm. see it on December second in theaters. Uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. We don't have to talk about this much. Hey, we saw that by though. John Hugh. Um, but I mean, this is a movie that's been around forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, they show two of these throughout the uh, festival. Um, but yeah, uh, this is Trevor and I's first time watching the movie. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, and yeah, funny, goofy movie. Um. Martin's great. The other guy's great. John Candy. Yep. yep. Both great. Funny movie. Yep. Uh, took me a while to get into it because John Candy was so annoying. <laughs> um, but he eventually grows on here just like he does in the movie. So Yeah. Any extra thoughts? Nope. Okay. <laughs> Still Working 9 to 5, uh, directed by Camille Hardman and Gary Lane, uh, and then produced by the two. We all we watched all this, this together. Yeah. Um, I think I missed the first like 20, 30 minutes. But... Or more. Or more. Well, they usually have like shorts beforehand, so nope, not this one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I showed up like forty-five <laughs> minutes late, and last time I showed up twenty-five minutes late, and there were still fifteen minutes or twenty minutes yeah, of shorts and documents. So yeah. I was like, I don't know how much I actually missed because. Yeah. But okay, nonetheless, uh, I got the the last half of it, and then they watched the whole thing. So, a few thoughts. I'm not a simp for Dolly Parton. <laughs> so I know a lot of people are and like she can slap her name on anything and people will love it. Um my Okay, that's doesn't pertain to the movie. Um Well, it's very heavily Dolly Parton. I mean, this yeah. is about the movie yeah. uh 9 to 5 and it's yeah. a documentary about how uh, the the movement is still going. Mm-hmm. Um and Dolly Parton's a, a producer or such on this movie is interviewed a bunch. Mm. Um and is a focal point of the movie so it does affect the movie well i was just gonna say that she it never showed her like at the rallies and stuff and she was like i don't associate like i'm not gonna go out and do that kind of stuff yeah so that just that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way is like you're gonna just put your name up on this and do like behind the scenes stuff but you're not gonna actually like stand up with everyone else sure well i think i think all I don't know about. I don't remember the names of all the ladies there. The other that. two did. Well, the, one of them was asked point blank if she did that, and she was like, "Well, I'm involved with other organizations that tackle those subjects," but like, she also felt kind of dodgy to me. I can't remember which one it was. All right, good, because it showed both of them like either marching with people or like speaking mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. for that. Like in a, it looked like public like oh jane fonda and uh lily tomlin yeah jane fonda was the one that i thought was kind of dodgy i didn't really get that from her but anyway also none of us have seen nine to five right no we've seen the play yeah oh (laughs) okay so you've at least gotten yeah Yeah. okay yeah i haven't seen the movie though i didn't even know it was a thing so Nineteen eighty. I was sixteen years unremoved from Earth, so I also don't love I was this negative song, sixteen so I'm years not... old. Yeah. What? Just... I, I don't love this song. Oh yeah. You don't like Don Parton. Don, Don Parton. Dolly Parton. So of course you don't like it. Don Parton. The, yeah. the, the male, the gender swap version of Dolly Parton. Don Parton. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Enough about Dolly Parton. She's a she's a musical genius, but 
No, I don't. You just don't like her fakeness. I don't like, yeah. Both physically and maybe even uh, politically. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, but in terms of this movie, still working nine to five, I don't have a lot of opinions. Okay, Trevor. Yeah. I really like this. I <laughs> I didn't realize how much of an impact that in media that nine to five had it was a movie and a musical and a tv show and then a uh revive or uh what do you call it a, a when they do a musical again a re- revise or something i don't remember but mm-hmm. um i didn't realize it was had that much of an impact in media and i didn't know so they got the title nine to five from a from a woman's organization that was pushing for uh pushing to add an amendment for equal pay the what was it the ero ERA, something like that. ERA, I ERA. think. Yeah. Equal Rights Amendment. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I found this to be... No, su- EPA, Equal Pay Amendment. Equal, yeah, mm. EPA, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I found this to be super informative, and I liked it a lot. I do agree that it was very informative. Um, I kind of felt like the movie was uh, uh, just a way to be a feminist uh, documentary and not necessarily a documentary about the movie and such. Um, now again, I only caught the last half, which is where it took a very quick turn shortly after I got there. Like it was talking about the production, all the stuff, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And it very quickly it turned did do a hard shift to the feminist movement movement from 1975, mm. 1985. And then, um, up to, uh, this past couple of years today, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, of when Roe v. Wade was overturned. And mm. so, it just felt like now again, like I said, I only watched the last half, but it it felt like just a way to okay, we have this uh, this movie that is very beloved in the female like community, um, rightfully so, and and we use that to get people in just to like uh, yeah, just use the classic uh, a cult classic to just to have our political opinion shown in a in a documentary and kind of hide it. Um, so, but I mean, I guess the movie was supposed to be a political statement to to start, um, even though it looked like just a comedy to me. But I guess comedies are always have something in the background. So they did talk quite a bit in the beginning. They show the they show the marches and stuff in the beginning. So right from the get go, it's pretty. Mm. It's, and I miss that. Yeah, um, I came in a little late too. Yeah, they show that's when they were showing nine to five the organization. Mm. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and they they spent. There were quite a few interviews where they they talk about how the script was heavily influenced by women. Mm-hmm. There, they would bring in like a dozen women all to share stories about Which was very harassment cool. in their yeah. workplace. Yeah, yeah, to, that they and, did that. And I think showing all that stuff in the eighties and stuff definitely makes sense because mm-hmm. it was a prominent issue. <laughs> yeah, and um, there's definitely still been. I think back in the nineties and two thousands, there was still a lot of sexual assault. Yeah. for sexual misconduct issues happening. Uh, and it's, I think, gotten better and better as time has progressed. But I like to think it has. It shows that even today stuff is still happening, though. Yeah. Uh, well, that's what the... It, it had a very big segment on the Me Too movement and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the movie showed that, like, it, it made it sound like, one, there was no progress ever made. Mm. Uh, and I don't think that's true. Uh, you can say that we need to keep fighting, which I don't disagree with you. Um, but you need to you still need to acknowledge that progress has been made and I don't think it did that and it also felt really repetitive at times um, like they kept drawing back to the same like pretty much the same interview questions mm. to like and it felt like they were just doing that to get like 
hey, this is still a nine to five documentary. And then, but then we're going to pivot back to the marches and the history of the feminist movement. And then, oh, here's a another nine to five interview. And then, so it's just like a way to try to keep it there. But it felt like I was just hearing the same things over and over again. Um, and you guys said this was really informative. So I guess if you didn't know a lot of all this, like if you didn't know this stuff as already, then I guess it uh, may have been a lot better because I knew a lot of. Uh, a lot of the subject matter that was already told. Not all of it. It did tell me some stuff, but mm-hmm. Tristan's got some stuff Thank loaded. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I will say this. As a female, I do appreciate everything that this movement has done for women in the workplace. I just didn't like the political push that it was giving, um, in my opinion. There wasn't a lot of uh conflict or discussion um, um yeah uh, uh opposition yes yeah yeah there wasn't a lot of opposition. it was one side it was one side of it was very one-sided yeah <clears throat> which, which is it, understandable um for what they were trying to do yeah and accomplish for this um but it also didn't touch on how like Women are, like, lots of women are starting their own businesses and, like, thriving outside of the corporate world. And it didn't, like, talk anything about that, um, which was kind of a bummer for me. It felt like it was trying to, like, progress in the story, but it didn't um, touch on, like, owning your own business or, or getting outside of the corporate world. So I'm, and I wanted that, I guess. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, yeah, but it was, uh, extremely well put together. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it looked great. Um, it, it flowed really well. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff, but I do find that, uh, I just don't like, uh, political documentaries in general because of what you said, there's no opposition and that's both left-leaning and right-leaning documentaries um like the daily wire does some and i'm just like i mean when you have full control of the edit you decide what people see and if something goes against the narrative that you're trying to push you're not going to show it right Mm. so there's no it's not a genuine document it's not a genuine discussion um and that's why i i just i tend to not like um political docs because of that um and there were two that i watched that were a little bit more left-leaning and then there are things that I already knew from my own like research slash just being semi in the political world um, that they just said without like acknowledging the other things that took place, like the nuances of the situation and such uh, or any kind of opposition. But we don't have to keep talking about this one. But this was the big movie. One well, of the and that was the one all three of us saw. Yes. Yeah. And this was one of the three biggest of the of the weekend. Um, the embarrassment, which we'll talk about later, was the biggest, I think. Yeah. Force Moses was probably the second, and then I think this was the third. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll move on here. Um, we have We Were Famous, You Don't Remember the Embarrassment. Is that the... Mm-hmm. Okay, sweet. So this was the biggest one, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was packed. Yeah. Um, and if you watch the video that I made for the stuff, uh, when I'm in the Orpheum and... There's and there and it's just packed with all the people. That was for the embarrassment. Gotcha. That was me in the drink line thinking, like, <laughs> "Oh, I'll just salute all the people." <laughs> um. So this is directed by Daniel 
Featherston and uh, Danny Slosberbach. Um, and then it's also produced by those two. So uh, you were the only one that saw it. So uh, take it away. Uh, the embarrassment is about uh, it was a big hit because and I think this is probably the one that the most people bought single tickets for. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So like we had we had passes and uh, 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 several other people did. Um, you could get a pass that would allow you to basically get free reign of the week. But you could also get individual tickets. And I think a lot of people did for this. Uh, the embarrassment is about a air was a local Wichita band that almost made it big. Mm. Um, and the entire thing was pretty cool. It, I mean, a lot of, I mean, people were cheering when they would show local Wichita places. They showed an old record store that used to be here and people cheered for. And, uh, a couple other like bars and places like that, that people would, you know, I actually got to watch this with, uh, Adam Knapp, our uncle, um, director of God Save the Wings. So that was kind of cool because he recognized a lot of those places and he's been in that world. He actually knew one of the interviewees on the movie. Um, uh, It seemed like a fellow journalist from Adam's time at um, the Wichita Eagle. Uh, I will say the one... So overall, it was pretty good and I did like it a lot. A a lot of the same footage was kind of used... Um, so it was a little hard to follow sometimes like where exactly they were at in their progress or in their journey. Uh, gotcha. it did kind of end on a weird note. Um, the entire thing is really uplifting and really talks about the band and their music and stuff like that. Uh, and they, and then they talked to, uh, some music video historian or just historian in general about music. And he makes a statement where he says, uh, had the embarrassment because their big thing was they wanted to be from Wichita. They wanted people to know that that's where they were from. So on the back of all their records, it had their PO box and it was a Wichita PO box. Um, but the guy says had the embarrassment gone and moved to like Chicago or New York or Los Angeles and taken that leap. He was like, they 110% would have made it big. The reason that they failed was because they decided to stay in Wichita and so that was kind of a weird note that it was this very big hoorah for Wichita and then to end with, yeah, if you want to make it big, you can't live here kind of thing. Because um, he talks about, and I believe him after hearing some of their stuff, I actually was writing down in my notebook um, different songs that played on in the in, during the documentary. But uh, they, he says they could have been just as big as some of the other popular bands of the 80s and 90s. And I, I believe them. They had some good stuff. Good music? Yeah. What was funny was uh, the drummer actually, he played his kit backwards so, like Phil Collins drummer does. And I turned to J- or Jeff, I turned to Adam and said, uh, said he's playing that kit backward. And then not even a minute later was the drummer was interviewed. And he said yeah, when he was a kid, his older brother had a drum set and he had it set up the wrong way. And so that's just uh, how he learned to play was eh. backward. And so I thought that was gotcha. that was kind of funny. But um, so the this band was in like the eighty seventies eighties nineties. Yeah. What mm-hmm. what what kind decade? of all of it? I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think they started so, playing together in the late seventies and then through the eighties and early nineties. I do think. Um, I know you said that it kind of feels like if they would have left, it was kind of like a get out. I didn't of, say that. The, uh, no, the, the, the movie. Said, the, yeah, you said yeah. the movie kind of yes, felt like that's uh-huh. what it kind was kind of ended you. on a weird note. Um. But I I think that might be different because that was then mm-hmm. and like this is much more like the internet did, wasn't didn't exist yeah so yeah. like it's much easier to just be wherever and then make it 
Yeah. So maybe they should have tried to communicate that better. I don't know. But that's just kind of what I thought. I was like, if you're trying, yeah. if you're a band in the 80s, you have to go where people can hear you. Right. Uh, but you don't have to now. <laughs> you yeah, can just, yeah. you put yourself on Spotify and it just hits. Put yourself on TikTok. You can be, yeah. You can have a crappy song and hit it on TikTok and you're famous. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. that's um, you can be anywhere. So, yeah. you got people in Africa that are biggest <laughs> people on TikTok. So, yeah. Um, uh, anyways, and then they, uh, they played right after the, that, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, that was another, that was the other uh, band that played uh, yep. that played just outside of the Orpheum. They, they shut, shut down, down First Street, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> which uh, we also didn't go to for. I think Tristan was uh, out. I think she was tired, which is understandable. We uh, <laughs> like I said, we started at <laughs> you know nine ten o'clock in the morning, and mm-hmm. Tristan still worked. Yeah, we we already went all. Yeah, but. Uh, well, and it was packed. There were plenty of people. They had a good crowd. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Could have got some free alcohol, but no, I think you had to pay for you it there. You had to pay for it the there. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm glad we missed it. No, I'm just kidding. I would have paid. <laughs> That's true. We did. I did. Um, nonetheless, uh, yeah, we'll keep moving on. Uh, this next one was uh, Gordon Parks. Um, that's the category. Um, so I think it's like Kansas Midwestern oh, okay. movies. Um, I bet you Gordon Parks was a movie maker in Kansas or something. So, mm. um, but yeah, that's what the category is called. After Sherman, which I believe Tris- Tristan, I think Trevor watched that. I one. did. Uh, directed by uh, John Searcy Goff, and then produced by Blair Dorsch Walther, and then Madeline Hunt Etheridge, Etheridge, something like that. Go for it. I feel Again. bad. Uh, uh. Now I'm doing all the talking on this episode. <laughs> yeah. You ended the shorts not talking for like an hour, and mm-hmm. then maybe it'll happen again. Maybe the last half yeah, will just maybe. be us. <laughs> you watched a lot of features, though. I, I did, did a lot of the shorts and mm-hmm. stuff, and yeah, Tristan caught some, and, and you you took a brunt of the features. Yeah. So. Um, so this wa- this one is about, uh, I, I can't remember if it's South Carolina or if it's Georgia. It might be South Carolina, actually. Um, uh, it is a... <coughs> filmmaker interviewing his family basically uh and talks about how uh the black community um has always been near water and that's kind of the uh theme of this documentary is uh this idea that like we come from the water like we came here by boat so we need to stay close to water kind of thing which is kind of a cool meta way to look at it um i actually this one kind of had me thinking a lot for the rest of the day. And I actually later on that day ran into one of the jurors that I kind of gotten buddy buddy with. Um, his name's Robert Daniels. Who's a critic for LA times and the New York times and whatever Chicago newspaper in Chicago. He's a, seems like a big wig. Um, but I liked what he said. He's uh, I told him I have a hard time critiquing documentaries efficiently because I get so wrapped up in the subject or like just if the subject's cool, then I I assume that's a good documentary. And he he told me um, the movie has to be equally as interesting as the subject matter is. Hmm. So if the subject matter is interesting, the movie and like the cinematography portion of it can still be bad or not as good. And that's how they kind of fake their way through it. So this one was kind of a breakout movie for me, I guess, because after hearing that, I was like, okay. Cause think then thinking back to 
the way some of the scenes were shot and some and that whole theme of like coming from the water um was very it kind of all just tied together for me in that moment and it, it was pretty cool but uh, unfortunately I, I did miss the last like i imagine it was probably 10 minutes uh they played a, a couple shorts before this and then they had a q a and the guy that was given the questions was really on a roll and just wanted to keep going so we didn't actually start the movie until like 40 minutes in maybe half an hour to 40 yeah so yeah i think i did end up missing the last 10 20 minutes gotcha but but overall i did enjoy it yeah um correction i will correct myself uh gordon parks is not a kansas uh block because there's a kansas block that we're doing next right after this this is a uh i think it is black filmmakers okay um because this is the uh gordon park sponsored by cargill and Mm. i believe at the award i was at the awards Mm, and i think uh, that was for black directors. And looking through here, the ones that I saw were all done by uh, yep. black filmmakers. So. You are correct. Okay, sweet. Uh, so correction, my correction, correction there. So want to make sure, uh, uh, giving you guys at least mostly the correct information. <laughs> There's a school here named after him, Gordon Parks Academy. Um, Amasta Toffee. I talked about this one in the shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, coffee, uh, Yoba. Uh, is the director and producer. Um, interesting poem. You can hear all my thoughts at the very beginning of the shorts because um, I talked about it for a little bit. But uh, he said it was supposed to be like a poem, and that's what it felt like. And once I knew it was less of a narrative and more of a poem, it made a lot more sense and enjoyed a little bit more. So, uh, But we will move on uh, since I already talked about that one. Uh, Anasius? Anasius? Uh, yeah, Sis? I didn't see it. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um, I will also probably say the producer's name wrong. Um, but the director of this is Tati uh, Almeida. Um, and then Sebastio uh, Barga is the producer. Um, or Braga. Um, and then next we had Black Daddy the movie. Um, I don't think anybody. I saw that. Okay, cool. Um, sweet. I, I was hoping somebody had because I, I yeah. talked to somebody uh that was a part of this. Uh, Damon Jamal Taylor uh, is the director and producer. What were your thoughts on this one? Um, so in the shorts, I talked. There was I don't remember which one it was, but I was talking about how it was kind of like anti-religion, anti, uh-huh. you know. And you were like, yeah, because this is. I don't remember what you said. A film festival? Yeah, maybe. Anyway. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Whatever. Um. This one, this was the opposite. It was basically um, black fathers coming together in like community, and this guy, the director, um, was the main guy in it, and he. It was about him and his friends, basically their experience as fathers, and they all looked different. So there was one that was like, his wife was in entertainment, so she was gone a lot. So he was a single dad a lot just because she was gone. Yeah. And um, there was a guy who was in the middle of like custody agreements with his ex-wife and trying to parent his kids through that. And just a bunch of different scenarios. Um, and the main guy was separated from his wife at the time. But like as he was shooting this documentary, his own father died. And so we went with him. He shot himself going to... They had like a celebration of life thing for his dad um, in 
I don't know where, somewhere else they had to fly there. So he took his kids and um, they talked, you know, it was basically about um, black father's experience. And there was a lot of the director is a is a hip hop artist, rapper. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly one of the two what genre he's in but um he's in entertainment and he a lot of his own songs were in this movie um kind of like music videos and then um he had some of his like friends on as guests in it and it showed people that like black fathers that had were kind of like his mentors and um like that he could like walk through this with it was very informative and very beautiful and they like prayed together a lot and um talked about you know how they need how they need to be for their kids and I enjoyed it a lot um just dads coming together and supporting each other and sweet they all uh, understand how difficult it is to be a um black father in their communities and yeah yeah this one seemed really interesting yeah it was was very well done Someone also asked at the end with the Q&A, um, the director was there, and he um, he was like, I don't remember exactly what the question was, but it was something like, is this movie only for like black fathers? There were a lot of, of black fathers in the audience, and um, he was like, I mean, I wrote it for the black father experience, but anybody and i'm like the opposite of that right (laughs) i'm not even a mom and i'm white and i'm a female um but i got a lot from it and i really again like i said i'm a sucker for like people coming together and journeying something together yeah i thought it was really beautiful sweet um next we had me little me elizabeth ayuki ayuku uh, and then also produced by her. So she's a director and producer. And then a, another producer was also Nikki J. Uh, Crawford. I don't think anyone. I was supposed to go see this and I missed it. Well, and I was really sad because I really wanted to see it. Well, I'm sorry, Elizabeth. My wife failed you and did not watch your movie. Mason. She tried her best. I. There was probably another movie that ran late that happened yes, quite often. It ran late. Yeah. And, and then. then I was trying to catch shorts, and then... Yeah. That happened a lot. There were a lot of movies we were... messy. Yeah. It was very messy. <laughs> I think Trevor had the least messy. Yeah, it only happened like a couple of days, or like at a couple movies the last day. Yeah. I was so stressed out. <laughs> Tristan was very stressed. Um, okay. Uh, Our Father the Devil. Uh, I watched this one. It was directed by Ellie uh, Fubi, um, also produced by her, and Joseph uh, Mastan... Tuno, um, another foreign film. Um, one of my favorites of the weekend. Um, it is. Uh, it's just a. It's just a good thriller. Um, you you don't really know what's going on. It's a little slow. Um, but the second you understand the context of what's happening, um, I got extremely invested in the story and intrigued on uh, where the movie was going to go. Um, and yeah, it kept me hooked the entire time. Uh, it's a thriller about a woman um, who was a cook um, that was uh, kidnapped when she was a 
a little girl and her parents were murdered in front of her as long as well as her siblings uh like in a tribe in africa her whole her whole family was murdered um and then these people took her uh and then trained her to be a warrior and do the same thing to other villages and she escaped um and uh she feel uh and then she becomes a cook like much later in her life and then uh this father uh comes to the nursing home that she uh lives at father as in like a priest father Mm. Um, and she thinks that he's one of them that kidnapped her Mm. and made her do all those terrible things. Um, and so it's a thriller because she's fighting this, is this, this person, is it not? So you look like you're about to say something. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, once it finally got to that moment and kind of explained it, uh, I was extremely invested. Uh, I do think... I think this was probably a budget reason, but they didn't actually show any of the village stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they just showed like you heard sounds and, and like loose, like, like camera movement, moving in a forest kind of thing mm. with lights or whatever. So like it was just very vague and then it told you. And I think obviously showing instead of telling makes things more emotional. Um, and I think that would have helped the film how, but I was talking to somebody later um which I saw a short and I was really mad that I didn't get to talk to him again. But mm. um, we saw the movie together. <laughs> we had talked before and we went to go watch our own movies. And then we went to this movie and we were both there and like, hey, we talked. <laughs> um, and we sat together and watched this movie. And uh, um, yeah, he said it was probably just a bunch of reasons. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Um, but that's the only thing like that I think would have made the movie better. But mm. uh, still really, really good. Um <coughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, now we got the Kansas features. I think Tristan watched uh, almost all of these. So, good job, Tristan. Me? Uh, yep. You're going to be talking a lot. Get ready. Huh. It started with a horse. <clears throat> I did see that. Uh, Joshua Dubious um, is the director, uh, produced uh, by uh, Marine Dubious, Joe Aker, Kit Mellum, uh, Mary Sue, and Steve Strickland, and then Mike uh, Castlefort. Or, yeah, Castlefort. Um, this is the movie that Tristan did not want to see, and I told her to go watch it, and yeah. uh, I forced her. And so, I thought it was going to be about horrors. I'm like, that's dumb. I don't care about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mother-in-law. Um, okay, it was really good, actually. It was about this old guy, um, in Western Kansas of Mullenville. And he was an artist in this like tiny town, and he would like make these. He called they called them totems, made out of like metal and steel. And no, steel is metal. Steel is metal. Mm-hmm. Made out of metal. And if he would like disagree with something that someone in the community said, then he would make a make an art piece of them with their name on it and hang up this like ten foot thing with their name on and you knew if your name was on there then he didn't agree with you (laughs) um so it was i'm a sucker for old men that was weird (laughs) i know she is though she just loves i really like old men she loves old Old yeah men specifically and i think it's probably just your grandpa that i think so too i love my gramps because you also only love old men that act like your grandpa that's true yeah. Has to, it's a certain style yeah. of old person. It has to be, yeah. Nice, quiet, goofy. 
uh, old people. Yeah. You can't not be a care. Not a, yeah, not a care in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this man was like that. And um, yeah, it was about him and his life that he. <clears throat> um, he talked for like 10 minutes straight about boobies. Which was very weird. Sounds like my kind of guy. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um, guy likes tits, man. It was funny. He was like 80 years old. And he just... He's seen a lot of tits? No, he bill? did. He told everyone. Yeah. No, he died in 2017. Oh. Dang it. I wish I, I, wish I could have met him. He, I'm sure he's... Funny guy? Fun guy, yeah. yeah. Um, but he talked about... They had like little animation for these stories that he would tell. Like he was talking about how he met this lady in in an airport, maybe, and they were like, they had a. I'm probably totally butchering this story, but from what I understood, they were like in this city, and then they were both in the airport. They were gonna fly to different places, and then they ended up flying to Paris together, and they were on like a 15 hour flight or something. And he was talking about how the the 15 hour flight was the foreplay, and then they got. They went into the Eiffel Tower and they had sex in the Eiffel Tower. And they he calls her once a year ever since that Eiffel Tower day. And they chat for a while. And then that's it. Hey, at least she doesn't fucking leave you. I mean. Well, he did a lot of women. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because he but was But not talking if you about fuck him in the Eiffel Tower. Then not the Eiffel that's, Tower. That's a special, that's yeah. a special lady. So you got to. Exactly. You got to keep up on that. Um, but he would talk about how he would just, you know, do anybody, not anybody. He talked about that. He liked pretty ladies, but he, he would do that. And then he said he probably has a bunch of kids that he doesn't know about any. I am. I'm surprised you liked this. This oh, does not sound like anything thing. you here's would like. Thing. I didn't do just talk about all the girls he fucks. He wasn't only talking about that. I know, that was like what... a small part of it. But yeah. the thing that I liked about the movie was that that's like a really sad thing. And like that really sucks for those kids who grew up without their dad. And like he didn't want to talk about it. But the thing about the movie was that he they made it clear that he knew that he had messed up and like he wasn't going to hide that he had made horrible decisions when he was younger like he he would talk about them and he would say like I haven't been a great man but this is what I have and I'm just going to keep going like he didn't he didn't make himself out better than he was and he didn't think that he was better gotcha. than he was so I liked that aspect of yeah. it of like the rawness yeah, yeah like he's going to be honest and he's not a great guy and he's not going to tell you that he's a great guy but he has he does what he loves and He'll talk to anybody, and he's super friendly. So yeah, um, so what was the title mean? What, 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 start with I have horse. no idea. Oh, okay. That I yeah, I'm, I'm really confused about. I didn't know if, how it started with a horse. Did he ride a horse to his first leg? Maybe like, that was his first like art piece that he put up. Oh yeah, you haven't even talked about how this guy's a sculptor. I did. You I said, said that he oh, made. Oh, okay. Yeah. My bad. He did art. I must have missed it. Which I liked. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Um. Next one we've got here, which I don't think <coughs> we had anybody watch. Mary Dupes, mm-hmm. uh, Zelmer, F- 
Stefanoglu. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, Sam Huntley was the director and producer of that one. Uh, next one was Once We Lost, the 70-year search for Chaplin, uh, Emil. I was going to see that. Capone. Dang it. Capon. Yeah. So the diocese I work for, Capon Mount Carmel, the school. Yeah. Father Capon's body was recently discovered. Oh. He was a World War He died during World War II. He died during World War II, and they had a huge... Ma- a funeral mass for him and like I'm sure people from all over like I had when I was working in Hutchinson I had kids miss because they came to Wichita to go to his wow. funeral yeah um yeah dang it okay How well it's gonna be really cool there you go um well Travis Hang and Roy Win- Winsel um uh, directed that one uh and uh Jamie Green and Michael Rorman uh, produced it. Uh, Personal History, directed by Tyler Moore and then produced by um, him, David Wayne Young, and Fritz Rob, uh, Robinson. A.K.A. Illumination Pictures. Oh. a Wichita-based company. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They uh, they tweeted something out to us. Yeah. Uh, you, we, did we, you watch the movie? Yes, and then okay. I, I interviewed Tyler. Gotcha. And he's on. He's in the video. Gotcha. Um, this was great. This was like really good. Um, and our our can we call him semi friends? Is that? Is, I hope that's not yeah, offensive. No. Patrick Poe is in this. Yeah. And so is Lolo. Sweet. Um, Patrick plays a. So it's about this. It's this documentary, or it's a, it's a fake documentary, but it's uh, about these. This woman is applying for a grant. And she's doing it uh, based on architecture around Wichita. And she uh, goes and... Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> she... We're moving around on you. Yeah, it's all good. She uh, she goes and um, is trying to apply for a grant. And in order to do that, she's having her friend help her do this documentary and they find out through it that there is a man. They're looking at pictures of this uh, this construction company that's been around for 50 years. And there's a man in each of these staff pictures that's not aging. And so they find the person that is in charge of the construction company. And they interview him. And it comes to find out that there is a man who's from Kansas that has stopped aging. Um, and that's who Patrick Poe plays. But... <laughs> What was really cool was typically in these kinds of in movies that I've seen where there is some kind of immortal being, whether it's Tuck Everlasting or any kind of vampire movie or whatever. Um, the immortal person is always this really suave guy. They got it figured out. You know, they got money in the bank. They can go from city to city and they got, you know, whatever. But this is just like a Kansas boy that grew up and just lived his life and then just stayed and they could, he said they say that like around the time that his family died he uh he went off the grid and the construction company he worked for uh set him up and they built him a house and he works for them for free and yeah it was a really and, and it's great shots of downtown Wichita all over the place uh lots of shots of the train station um just old town in general uh yeah, this was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Well, sweet. Yeah. I will try to check it out. Yeah. Um, I didn't know anything about the movie, so I just docked you to watch it. So, um, 
Next, we've got PvP Lone Gone, um, which Tristan watched. Uh, director is um, uh, Devin Bray. Um, and then uh, co-director is uh, n- uh, Naya Lily. Uh, it was also produced by Devin uh, and then Shakira Bray and then uh, Naomi Bray. Um yeah, I talked to the film director. Uh, Tristan watched it, but I did talk to the film uh, director about this one. He's made a ton of um, music videos and then shorts, and then he's making a few features here in Wichita, and he's trying to uh, get the Wichita film uh, circuit going. Um, and then we actually ended up chatting with uh, one of the actresses at a bar later uh, in the week, which yeah. was interesting. Yeah, uh, She was the bartender, and we just... Happened to say we're at the film festival, and she was like, oh, I have a movie playing in that. <laughs> we're like, oh, what is it? Oh, Tristan watched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on the movie? Yeah, and then Easton put me on the spot. Uh, yeah, I did. And he was, I walked in, he's like, do you recognize her? And I'm like, oh, no. No. <laughs> and then they're like, she was in a movie you watched. And then I couldn't remember the title of the movie. Anyway. Oh, did you know who it was, but just couldn't? No, oh, okay. No I was idea. about to say, I I don't think I would have. But I hadn't seen very movies at that point. Uh, very many movies. But you said she looked a lot different. She did look a lot different. But, okay. The movie. A big part of it, like the main part probably, was that they were getting loans to pay off loans to mm. to pay off other things. Um. So th- that part of it was giving me like, way less stressful um uncut gems vibes yeah <laughs> like a million times less stressful uh which is good for me but, and what but similar like that but vibe. yes yeah of like living in this i need to get loans to pay loans to you don't actually have any money you're just funneling money from place to place and trying not to get caught yeah <laughs> yeah basically um it was pretty funny at times i loved seeing the like there's a shot with like old town parking and I like recognized some uh, places that they had shot in. Um, But a couple, Oh, they did talk about um like wh- somebody was like betting on the chiefs game. So <laughs> I liked the like local relevance of it. Um, what are you trying to say? I'm wearing a chiefs uniform. So I know. <laughs> Carry on. I said I liked the local <laughs> relevance. Okay. But I think the shots and stuff were really good. It was a fun, interesting Wait a second. Movie. He was betting on the Chiefs? And this Somebody is in Wichita? Somebody was. Somebody was. Was it based in Wichita? Yeah. That means he was doing it illegally. Because there's no <laughs> way they shot this movie in August and it came out in... Well, they were doing a lot of illegal things, so oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, fair I wouldn't enough. Be surprised. <laughs> okay. Um, the thing, something I did notice that kind of took me out of it was sometimes in the shots, it would like go to a different shot, and the hair would move without being mm, moved. Yeah. Or like the shirt would be like moved a certain way, and then the scene would change in the shirt. Just little. Costume bloopers. Yes, yeah. yes. That's a good way to put it. Um, and like, It's really hard to catch those continuities when you're filming. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I ju- that was just something that I noticed um, in it. But the main guy and his friend, they 
the the I know you've never seen this before, but the guy was telling me he was he had a very heavily Friday uh inspiration for this. The movie Friday with Ice Cube. Oh, it's an old It's all uh, you, man. It's an old black comedy. <laughs> uh he said he basically wrote one of the characters to be one of those characters oh, and said funny. he was very heavily inspired by it. Yeah. But I knew you had never seen it, but maybe it's a movie we'll put on the docket. It's it's a cult. It's a classic. There's three of them. Uh, all I, th- I believe it's Ice Cube. But anyways, carry on. I yeah. Just trying to give some context to the to the film because sure. it's a very uh, black cast, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I think that's that was part of the influence of it. So. Yeah. The relationships, like the romantic relationships in this movie, were not faithful. And no. like Sugar Daddy, <laughs> like that. Oh, I know that guy. That's a, that's a brother. That's Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. Oh, Chris Tucker. I'm thinking of somebody else. Okay. I Anything else you want to say on? I recognize the meme. I got confused <laughs> at the end because um, a lot of people were re- related to other people, and it confused me. But <laughs> I enjoyed it overall. Yeah, I really did. Sweet. Um. We've got, I think you can dip out for a second because you don't have Finlandia okay, homeowners. Nope. Okay. Um, I don't even know what this category is. Mur- murmurations? Murder. Oh, no. Oh. No, it's it's murmurations. Uh, Finlandia, uh, which was directed by um, uh, Horror... Horror, I'm so sorry, dude. Uh, or lady. Or lady. Yeah, I guess it could be a lady's <laughs> name. Since I can't say it, I have no idea. Uh, uh, Horiko uh, Alcia? Alcalia? Um, I'll see ya. Yeah. Uh, um, Pop, uh, and then Homeowners, uh, directed by Pablo Argras and Marta uh, Capria, and then direct uh, produced by um, also... Marta uh, Cabria. Um, did you watch that one? Yep. Okay. Um, Midnight Black, Midnight Blue. That was there. Okay. Um, directed by Samantha Soul and Daniel uh, Talbot, and then also produced by level holder uh, Addie Johnson Tabot, Chris Stack, Daniel Tabot, and Samantha Soul. Um, and then Quantum Cowboy. Uh, that was you. D- yep. Directed by uh, uh, Jeff. Marslet, um, produced by Bill Way, uh, Jeff Marslet, and Melody uh, Sisk. Um, yes, I watched this one and did an interview with him um, uh, that will come out in the next couple days. Uh, absolutely fantastic guy to talk to. Uh, and his movie was my favorite of the weekend. Um, this is a completely out there um, idea that on paper should never work and somehow he made it work. Uh, this movie has 16, I believe different animation styles wow. uh, all wrapped into one movie. Um, and I'll give you a little hint if you do watch it. Cause I very much implore you to watch it, even though it's going to be extremely out there. Um, so ev- apparently uh, he told us afterwards, every animation design is uh, someone, somebody, a, a different person's perspective. So every time you get into a new, uh, uh, yeah, a new art style, you you know that you're from a different person's perspective slash timeline. So uh, the movie is, uh, so 
Jeff talked a little bit about it. It seems uh, he was into quantum mechanics, and so he used that scientific. He wanted to create a, a narrative movie with this quantum the his science background, mm-hmm. and so uh, the movie is um, using that uh, theory, uh, and it's a theory that uh, life is kind of circular. Uh, and ever-changing until it is finite, which is a very weird... That probably doesn't make any sense to you, but uh, they explain it very well. Uh, there's a main character that's kind of... Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Mystery Science 3000. No. Uh, okay. Well, if any of you out there have. It kind of feels like um, that where there's a guy on the outside watching, and uh, he's kind of explaining what his process is, and it t- it makes sense. Um when you watch it um but all of the characters were all very uh unique and interesting you were able to have characters from uh all over the place because of uh the style of film um and yeah just had a lot of fun i was extremely confused for a very long time um but once i think it finally clicked um it was yeah it was great and it was such just a I don't know, wonder to see. Cause like I said, you're having all these different styles of animation, anywhere from retroscoping to uh drawn animation to 3d animation to, um, claymation. I mean, uh, you're seeing all these different styles of artwork. That's just throwing you around this, this world. So, um, yeah, I think it was, uh, probably my favorite of the weekend. I think there were a few that are, we're kind of fighting for the spot, um, but getting to talk to the director and kind of hear his thoughts on it, well, not thoughts, but inspirations and, um, explain a piece of it, uh, really helped, um, uh, understand the movie and appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Said it, uh, it took like, it took a really long time to, to do because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he said he spent like, I don't know every night over the last like three to four years editing this movie Wow! on top of his normal job. Yeah. So yeah. So super dedicated to making this one. And it's supposed to be a three part trilogy. Um, however, he said he understands that he just made a independent movie and you have to make money to make more. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't know if he's going to be able to do his full vision, but he's very excited and happy that he at least got to finish, uh, the first piece. And I, yeah, definitely, uh, think you guys should all check this out. Like I said, it's going to be weird to start, and you're not going to quite understand what's happening, but you will eventually. And yeah, it's a it's fun, and the western setting is absolutely perfect. Nice um, setting for the movie. Um, next one we've got is Shall I Compare You to a Summer's Day, um, directed by Muhammad Shaki, uh, and Muhammad Shaki Hassan or Hassan. And then uh, also produced by him, and then uh, also produced by uh, Maximilian, Maximilian uh, Halsberger. Um, I don't think anybody saw that one. Uh, Wes. Uh, Wes Schlegenhoff is dying. Thank goodness. You watched <laughs> it and knew how to say his name. But yes, uh, that movie is up next, directed by uh, Parker Seisman, uh, produced by Devin Doss, Parker Seisman, Trent. Uh, Adderson, Adam, uh, Mafia. This Talk is fantastic. It. <laughs> Great. it was really good. I I remember you texting us about this right after you watched it. Yes. 
this might be my highlight of the weekend was this one um it was if you're looking so movies that we've seen since 2020 some of them have kind oh, of this is a narrative yeah some huh. of them have kind of touched on covid and like you know hinted at it like oh we have to mask up and stuff but this is like no this is a covid movie this is taking place during 2020 <laughs> tristan's like Ugh. but so it's it's these three friends trying to make it in la and uh it's 2017 and one of the and it's the and they're all jerks to each other like they're not good friends oh they're, yeah it's a very toxic thing but you know they're all trying to make it in la and try and make it work so two of them are directors and one of them is an actor and the two guys that are directors are kind of a team and so they're directing their actor friend on this commercial and they're overbearing and trying to get him to do stupid stuff and he ends up quitting um so he moves back to idaho and yeah right <laughs> And uh, they don't talk for three years. Well, they finally call him one day, or they, or maybe he gets—I don't remember how they find out—but they get in contact and find out that Wes is dying, and or he's sick at least. They say that he's sick, and and they're like, "Well, we're gonna come visit you, and we're gonna document our way to get you, and we're gonna like buy this old van and get these old maps, and we're gonna do it like they used to do back in whatever." And so, what was supposed to be like a day trip takes them three days to get out there because they don't know how to read a map yeah. and things like that. And um, there's a really funny montage because all the restaurants are closed. There's this really funny montage of them going to fat, like through fast food drive throughs and like just jamming in the parking lot with all this different fast food. It's really funny, but no, this was, this was great. And I definitely recommend checking out. Uh, if you watch the video, uh, there's a you, you can see a little bit of the Q and A with one of the actors slash directors, David Doss, and I like what he says. He says it was filmed during COVID, and it's about the COVID time. And they, uh, he says, it very much felt like it was a time where, like, should we should be making things because we're artists, but we also feel like we shouldn't be making things because it's a pandemic. And I feel like everybody that is in a creative space felt that way like i remember <laughs> feeling that way with things like i feel like i should be producing things and should be doing things or whatever but then on the other hand like i should be like trying to not do that and not collaborate and blah 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 and so it was a very surreal thing to hear him talk about but no this this one was great sweet yeah um yeah for some reason i thought that was a documentary just from the name it's so uh, the yeah yeah so um uh yeah, those were all narrative features. So uh, that was the narrative feature uh, block. You didn't see Midnight Black, Midnight Blue, did you, Tristan? Mm-mm. Okay, just making sure. Um, Spotlight Films. Uh, this will be a good chunk of films here. Shakespeare shit. St- sorry, hashtag <laughs> Shakespeare shitstorm. Um, you didn't did or did not watch this one. Let's talk about this. Did you want? Well, did you watch Poltergeist? Poultry guys, can we this one? Can we do these ones together? Yeah, is that go okay? for, yeah, yeah. So they so, directed by Lloyd Kaufman. Directed by Lloyd Kaufman. Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm is also uh, produced by Lloyd Kaufman, mm-hmm. Pat Kaufman, Justin Martell, and John Brennan. And then uh, Poultry Geist. Uh, oh, where is Poultry Geist? It is not on here. 
Well, they played back to back. Okay. Uh, oh. Uh, yes also directed by lloyd kaufman and then produced by andrew uh deemer and kale walker so yeah talk about these two so i didn't know anything about lloyd kaufman other than he was in or did the toxic adventure i didn't know that either oh you didn't (laughs) No. okay i didn't know anything about toxic adventure i didn't look at any trailers for this what's funny is i actually texted texted the big m and asked her if she wanted to come with me to see those two movies And she said, can you send me a trailer? And so I was like, okay, yeah, but don't tell me anything because I haven't even watched trailers. And she responded and she was like, I'm okay. I don't need to see these. What I did not know about Lloyd Kaufman was, uh, oh, but then she was like, you should tell me what you think of them, though. What I didn't know about Lloyd Kaufman is that he was one of the original creators or writers, I can't remember, for South Park, which is not my kind of humor. Yeah. So I got in there. The, the short before it, which I actually don't know if we talked about, when we did the short one, Bone Appetite. You were supposed to talk about any short that you didn't um, get a chance to say uh, well, through your notes. But you can talk about it afterwards I, in a second. Oh, sure. Um, I stayed for that. That was great. And then the uh, the Poultry Geist, I got about 45 minutes to an hour in. It just wasn't my type of movie. Now, it was sold out. And I'm glad it was because it was. I mean, everybody else that was in there, they were all having a great time with it. And, but I, I couldn't take it. I was like, I have to, I have to go. Yeah. <laughs> so not all movies are for everyone, right? I think everyone understands that. And I'm I, sure. supposed to be. And I let them know. I let them know because I was also going to see the Shakespeare one after, uh, which was supposed you to be. You let a Lloyd Shakespeare. Kaufman know. No, well, I let the volunteers know because oh, gotcha. there were people that still wanted to get in, yeah. but it was sold out, and so I, I let them know that there was uh, an, an extra spot yeah, if anybody yeah. else wanted to come in. Um. The Shakespeare one apparently is about a Shakespeare play with a literal like poop falling from it, like a poop storm. Like anyway, so yeah, yeah. that was my experience with the Lloyd Kaufman films that evening. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Okay, so th- <laughs> those are those two. Um, so maybe if you like South Park, you might enjoy. I bet them. if you like South Park, you would get a kick out of these. Yeah. Yes. Um. Uh, next one on here is a butterfly in the sky directed by Bradford Thompson, uh, Brett Whitcomb, uh, who also produced both of them uh, or no, no, uh, Brian Storkel also produced it. So, um, I did in fact see this one. Um, this is about uh, a documentary about reading rainbow, reading rainbow. um, and the, um, public uh tv because uh, this was a public tv um oh, movie kps or pbs yeah. yeah um and uh but mainly just about reading rainbow uh and yeah this was this was really really good uh i grew up in the uh later years of reading rainbow uh, but it was still something that i participated in um i remember the original theme song really well and remember seeing the uh, the drawn dragons and all that uh, that stuff, and then I guess they reiter like they they changed it in the early two thousands, which they they cover, mm-hmm. um, and I don't remember that one as much. Uh, maybe I just grown too old to watch Reading Rainbow, but uh, but yeah, it's very it's it's very specific for uh, a certain age audience. Um, but they do a, a great job showing uh, just how passionate everybody was about the project, and that includes um, the the host who is a uh, um, what is, uh, yeah, uh, LeVar Burton. Um, he was the, uh, 
um, yeah, he was the host and talked about his pro like how he got into the project. Uh, he was a um, he also played Kuta Kinte in Roots. You guys don't know Roots? Nope. Oh, okay. Um, so um, he was trying to be an actor and he got uh, Roots uh, fairly early on in his career. And Roots was one of the uh, most successful TV shows uh, in the 80s, I believe. Uh, and it was a movie about um, a uh, African um, who eventually got kidnapped and taken into slavery and then sold in America and that whole life. And it shows his entire life. And he was the young version of Kuta Kinte when he was in Africa and the beginning of the slavery and all that kind of stuff. And he was, at that point, the most like one of the most famous actors because he played the most the yeah. main character in the biggest show in the world yeah. that everybody watched. Um, and what? Not us. Not us. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it wasn't in your guys' time. I watched this in, in middle school, actually. We watched this as a, uh, uh, in history class. I thought class. it was funny. Yeah. Um, so he, he had just gotten off of that and they were trying to find a host for it and they wanted to pick a host that was, um, that, I don't know, just had the ease, the feel, the personality. Um, and then, uh, I think, I don't know if they were a thousand percent keen on, but they, I, I think they were very open to the idea of having a, uh, black host, uh, mm-hmm. to, fe- to make everyone feel welcome. And it hadn't really been done too often at the time. And anyways, the, the it just talks about uh, everything that went into Reading Rainbow, all of the things that they had to overcome because nobody thought a TV show about books would do anything. Nobody would watch it. And, and, how, and it became a sensation um, very quickly. Um, and it just shows how passionate everybody was, including LeVar Burton, about what they were doing. Uh, they had a very clear purpose of why they were doing it. It wasn't to make money. It's public uh, television, so they weren't making a lot of money. It was just about getting kids to read books in a TV world uh, because kids were just glued to the screen because TVs were just starting to become more There's of a household video item. Killed the radio <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think they would say it uh, was killing books too. So um, that was their goal. And it's it just. Very, very well done. Uh, it very it took you in and out of the episodes quite often, mm-hmm. uh, and so it was so cool to go back and like remember the moments that I had seen on TV when I was four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't have direct memories, but yeah. I saw an interview with a kid, and I'm like, I remember seeing mm-hmm. that. Like I, I would never think of it until I right. saw it. Right. Um, or like there was just a bunch of different moments, and also Reading Rainbow did so much more than I thought. Mm. Um, and then a lot of the books that they showed on there, I'm like, I'm sure I, I remember this book and I'm sure I bought it because of reading rainbow. Mm-hmm. So that was, uh, anyways, it's, uh, very beautifully done. So um, you were the perfect person to watch this. I was a perfect person That's to watch great. this. Yeah. Uh, maybe somebody who was born in the, uh, late eighties would probably maybe be the ideal, mm-hmm. um, viewer, but I still got the back end of, uh, reading rainbow and, um, yeah, very much enjoyed it. Um, they played the song a thousand times over, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they got everybody that was involved in it to talk uh, about it. And the directors and producers were there to talk about the film a little bit. Um, asked them a question. They didn't answer it. So I was cool. But <laughs> I was trying to, I asked them uh, if there was uh, an interview that was really cool that they weren't able to include because it didn't really fit the flow 
Um, and they kind of danced around it. They just <laughs> said that there was a lot of stuff. I'm like, well, I want to know a story. Yeah. I want to know uh, somebody you talked to that you just couldn't throw in here. But anyways, um, yeah, I really enjoyed this one. Um, Death and Bowling, uh, directed by Lyle Cash and Ari Mahler. I don't think any of us watched this. I wanted to. Uh, because it sounded interesting, but uh, wasn't able to. Um, Donnie Darko, Richard Kelly, old movie. Um, none of us watched it because we were watching other stuff. That was kind of in the middle of the festival. But mm-hmm. um, the, the, to be to be fair, though, they the reason they played this here was because it was they showed it on original thirty five millimeter. Oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, Hidden letters. I saw this directed by Violet Dufeng. Mm-hmm. And it was incredible. I think this was the one you said Tristan should watch. I did, yeah. It's a documentary about... Um, so women in China uh, for several years, and even today a little bit. It, it, it seemed like, from the documentary, it seemed like that. Um, they are supposed to submit to their husbands and their sons. Um, males involved in uh, China's culture... Are dominant and they're supposed to have the run of basically everything. Um, so what this is is about, and I can't remember the name of it, but there's this language that these women would write with. I think it was called f- Fushin or something like that. Um, if I had my notebook, I wouldn't be able to look it up. Yeah, I someone decided to forget his notebook. I know. <laughs> um, but it was about a so it, they would write these letters and they would write they would write these letters and poems and songs and it was this hidden language basically so if you see like fans or even architecture or clothing that would have these things on it uh it that's how it was integrated into that society what was interesting so it was about two women uh Simu and Hishui I think or Hichin H e q i n g I think is what it, what, it, what that second one was and Simu, um, both learning this language on their own and how they kind of worked that into society, uh, how this uh, organization was brought up about the preservation of this language and things like that and kind of the selling out of it a little bit as well, um, but yeah, it was it was really really well done and very touching. What was also kind of sad. You know, they they spent the beginning talking about the male, male to female society in China. Yeah. And they say, uh, but then this, I think, Simu maybe meets this guy and he's great. And it seems like you get the feeling that it's going to not be that way. But then come to find out he's kind of like telling her that she should get a job and they need to have a baby very soon. And how this language that she's trying to procure and doing all of this volunteer work for doesn't make money. So she shouldn't do it and she needs to drop it basically. And that's the last scene they have together. Well, during the Q and a, the director told us that, uh, they had filmed that before and then Violet went somewhere else to do something. I don't remember. And then she called her Simu back to see if she'd be up for shooting more content and, or shooting more footage. And, uh, she told her that her husband had divorced her like very recently. Uh, and which wasn't the rest of the documentary, but that was kind of a cool thing to see outside of that. Yeah. But anyway, no, this was 
very touching. It was very, very cool to learn about. Awesome. Yeah, you you said this one. This is another one you texted us right afterwards and said mm-hmm. Tristan would uh, would enjoy that one. Yep. Um, why are you trying to send Tristan on this anti-husband movies? Well, Come it's on not, now. That's not that part. Well, maybe it's a little that part. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I don't. <laughs> um, next one on here, which I think uh, Tristan watched. Um, do we need to skip or are you good? Okay. Um, Immediate Family, uh, directed by Denny... Uh, Ted's Tetsco um, producer is Greg Richland, Jack Pyatt, uh, Jonathan Sheldon, and Diddy, uh, Denny uh, Tedsco. Yes, I watched this one and I did not have any idea that it was going to be what it was about. But Immediate Family is a band, and I was really confused at why uh, Spectrum, the record store Spectrum Music. Yeah. At why they uh, had like sponsored the showing. <laughs> I was really confused because I'm like, hey, that's a record store. Why are they sponsoring a family video? Anyway. Uh, Yeah. So it was really good and I loved it. These guys um, played together on like a ton of different records in the mostly 70s like some late 60s 70s and then um 80s music came and it kind of changed the whole you know everything was like electronic and they weren't using live bands anymore to record um sessions and so um these guys any music basically any like big singers uh some i can't think of the people but a ton of people would come in and they would ask for these guys to be on, to to be the musicians on the, their record um, when they recorded it. So these guys, the same players of these instruments are on a ton of different albums of uh, really popular artists. And they were like the it guys and they're, it was like a big deal when they got their names printed on the back of the records and um, they got recognized for all of the work that they had done. And it was just about them, uh, you know, playing together. And James Taylor was one that they played on records with a lot. And um, and then they kind of split up throughout the rest of their lives as they got older. And now they're like in their 70s and they started this band, Immediate Family, um, the four guys. And then they have an extra guy who um, ha- he said he said in the documentary that he had been playing with like along with those guys with their recordings since he was like really young and so when he started playing with them in the band they were like we haven't played with you for very long but like you fit right in like you sound really great with us and he was like you haven't been playing with me for very long but I've been playing with you my whole life <laughs> which was really cool. That was very cool um I loved it and I got to talk to Leland Sklar which was the um bass player yeah, in the movie, and I cried when I talked to him, just because he gave you a hug. He did give me a hug. He was such a sweet man, a Leland. Sweet, if you're listening man. to this, I love you so much. Very old man. I told him, see, with a great beard. Yes. I know yes. he has a he has a he has a podcast. First oh, of all. he has a podcast. He has a website. It's Leland Scholar's Beard at dot com. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah, he has a T-shirt that's like just his beard on the T-shirt. <laughs> Um, 
And anyway, uh, he's very, very cool. And I, I was so touched because I was by far the youngest person in the audience. And I was like, all of these people grew up with this band, like grew up listening to these people live yeah. and all of that. But like, kind of like that guy, like I've been listening to this my whole life. And just because I didn't grow up with it doesn't mean that it means less to me. Yeah. So I'm going to cry right now. It's just so great. And I love old men and I love coming together. It's wonderful. So funny because you're married to a younger man. I love you more than the old <laughs> men. Um, it is in All of Us, directed by Antonia uh, Cabell Hughes uh, and produced by um, uh, Imam Foley. Uh, and uh, Tamron uh, Rinke, Rinse Rinke. Sure. Um, did anybody see that one? I did. Okay, sweet. Talk about. Uh, so this was one of the late night features. It's but this movie came out in like 2006. I want to say oh, maybe okay. something like that. Yeah. Um, I could be way off the mark, but I don't uh, think it's super recent. You're produced. It says 2022. Really. Well then, I'm an idiot. Uh, Are you sure so, not thinking of a different movie? I I don't know. Um, this is it is in us all, right? Huh? It is in yeah. us all. Yeah, that's the movie. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, if uh, so, yeah, this was one of the late night showings. Um, really interesting. Really, kind of some meta concepts. Uh, kind not confusing, but like it's definitely an interesting watch like you it so i talked with andre um who was one of the festival staff members he was the one that picked he was the one that picked the late night movies and uh we had a couple conversations about this one throughout the week and just it it's a good movie to just watch and then talk about what happened in it what you individually think happened and how you should take it and things like that and I told him what I thought, and then he told me what he thought, and he shared some thoughts from other friends he's had that watched the movie. And, yeah, it was definitely – it's worth a watch, 100%. Hmm. It's an Irish film. Um, oh, no. Do they have really thick accents? They don't have thick accents. That's good. No. Uh, actually, the main character in it is British. Or he's hmm. he's supposed to be from London in it. Um, no, but it was easy to follow. Like I said, it's just – there's some – Things it's all literal, but there's things in it that happen that make you think like, is this really what it seems? <laughs> like, is this really what this is supposed to be? And yeah, yeah. So it was just huh. definitely recommend. Sweet, um, little Shashmo, Sachmo, uh, another one that you uh, mm-hmm. watched. He's uh, pointing to me. I am. Um, sorry, there's video, so I don't have to <laughs> say it anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Um, John Alexander uh, is the director, produced by J.C. Guest and Leah Umberger. Um, I did, in fact, talk to somebody who had a part of this film in an interview. So, nice. um, so yeah, you can see that here in the next couple of days. Uh, but yeah, what did you uh, what did you think about Little Satchmo? This was very interesting. Um, so, this is based off a book. It is it is a documentary, but it was it was inspired by a book. I don't remember what exactly it was called. Let me see if I can look it up real quick. But uh, so Louis Armstrong, his nickname was Satchmo. And this is about his uh, daughter who was required to, uh, 
I, from what I could tell, her name was Sharon Preston Fulta. Um, she wasn't allowed to disclose that information that she was his daughter until fairly recently. And when she did, okay, the book is called Little Satchmo Living in the Shadow of My Father. But this is basically her a narration um, of her with uh, with visual aid, basically from the book. But it was definitely interesting, and I feel bad for <laughs> uh, teaching my jazz uh, history or my uh, jazz appreciation course, and not mentioning that Louis Armstrong had a daughter. <laughs> so, but it was, um, yeah, it definitely shows the gray. You know, we we talk for you and I personally outside the podcast talk fairly often about how nobody in history is necessarily black or white, and this does a great job of well, black or white ethically or morally is what I mean. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, everybody's kind of in that gray zone, and this definitely paints Louis Armstrong in a picture of well, he was this great guy, and he did he did a lot for jazz music and uh, African American culture in general, and bringing that over to America. However, how did he treat his daughter and his, and his mistress, you know, and how did how did they feel about that situation? And so it definitely uh, it felt authentic and real. And I enjoyed it. Sweet. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is another one uh, uh, I plan on watching. He uh, when I was talking to him, um, I asked if the music was any good. Uh, not any good, but I was like, how, how is the music in the, because you're talking about Louis mm-hmm. Armstrong, so you've, yep. huge jazz icon, you should, you know, uh, did you integrate that in the movie and stuff? He was like, no. And I was like, I, in, and in my mind, I'm like, am I an, like, am I a complete idiot? And I just <laughs> thought of the wrong Armstrong, like, is Lance Armstrong the, the jazz musician and Louis Armstrong is the biker or, uh, uh, man who went to the moon, mm-hmm. um, Neil that, Armstrong. Yeah. Neil Armstrong. I was like, wait, is Neil Armstrong the uh, <laughs> uh, musician? D- did I just make myself look like a complete idiot no. in front of this guy? Um, but thankfully not. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, but to, yeah. Be, to be fair, your question was spot on because his music is in this. It's just not a focal point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said that. He he said that the it, it, we didn't want Lewis to be any kind of focal point of the movie. Oh, gosh. Right. <sighs> um. But yeah, um, next one uh, was Lowness County and the Road to Black Power. That was you. Uh, directed by Greta uh, Ganber and Sam Pollard. Uh, produced by Anna Roos, Jessica uh, Devaney, uh, and Demma Paxton Fofong. Um, this is a political doc about the rise of the Black Power um, Party. Black Panther. And Black Panther, yeah. Um, but Black Power is very heavily uh, influenced in that, so that's why I yeah. misspoke. And I say that like they do not shy away from the right. importance and the uh, emphasis on the word Black Power. Um, th- now, so two things. Uh, one, th- the same reason why I don't like political docs are the same issues I have with this as a whole. However, I did learn a lot more about this subject matter than the other. Sure. Uh, there was a lot of stuff here that I didn't know um, that I thought showcased it uh, very well on why um, the um, Black Panther um, uh, party was uh, used. Um, I think it was great how it showcased that 
um, the Democratic Party uh, was uh, being told was telling the black community that they were for them. Um, and they were the ones that were, um, like telling, like the democratic party was saying, vote for us. And like what we have you in mind or whatever, like, and getting black votes. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why they created like the, the black leaders were telling the black community to vote for them because they were being told whatever. And that's why they created the black, um, Panther, party because gotcha. they were not being represented by the democratic party and they wanted, they, they needed representation um, because they were in counties that were like this one that were 90% um, uh, black and didn't have a single person in office that was black. And there was so much racism and, and in the upper power because right. there was apps like they didn't want them to gain power because you keep them oppressed, keep yourself rich. And yeah. when you're outnumbered 90 to 10, I mean, Keeping the power is the only way to stay in power. So, um, so yeah, there was a lot of interesting stuff there that I I, I didn't know. Um, everything I knew about the Black Panther uh, Party was mainly the um, tension between Martin Luther King and the Black um, uh, Black Panthers uh, and how they were uh, for violence versus nonviolence, like Martin Luther mm -hmm. King. Um, but it it and it didn't that this did not focus on that part. Uh, this is more like pre. <laughs> Black Panther, uh, more the formation of it yeah. and the the need for it, rather than uh, I think most of that was kind of later on, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and it I mean I don't think it goes again like this doesn't counter what they did later on like it says you know sometimes you have to be violent or whatever so it yeah. doesn't contradict itself in any way um, but like I said there there is still some stuff in here where there is no tension or uh, opposition to what they're saying. And there are times where I'm like, okay, well, I know that like this specifically was used for a reason and you're just saying this without any context. Um, and so, but yeah, I, I was, uh, of course upset at times because of that. Um, but like I said, did, did get a lot of knowledge on, um, stuff I didn't, uh, specifically know. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest issue I did have is a lot of people they were interviewing were, um, heavily anti-white mm -hmm. and so that was very annoying as a white person to just see um i mean you can say what you want but i mean i don't think you should be racist to any race and they were very um i don't like white people and, and they're the problem and that's that was the vibe they were giving off mm -hmm. um and uh yeah i don't think that's where progress comes so um so yeah there was a lot of interviewing people that uh were very offsetting and I do understand some of them because they were interviewing 85 year old people that were going through that. Mm -hmm. So that makes a little bit more sense, but then they were also interviewing people that were 32 and like you do, you did not go through the same thing. I know you study it and so you've, mm -hmm. you read it and stuff and I'm sure you deal with racism in your own life, but it's not everybody we've progressed and changed. I think, yeah, whatever. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's Loudness uh, County and the road to, to black power. So very much of a early going of it. Um, and yeah, some interesting stuff. Um, Mama Bears directed by, uh, Darsha Kai, uh, and also produced by her and Laura Tath Tatham. Did you watch this one, Tristan? Mm -mm. Okay. Um, No Place Like Home, The Struggle Against Hate in Kansas. 
Um, director is Kevin Wilmot. Um, producer is Scott Richardson, Sam uh, Zeff, and CJ Janvoy. Um, did you watch this one? Okay. Um, for some reason, I, th- I thought you had. Already talked about uh, Poultry Geist, kind of. Um, uh, the Blind Man Who Did Not Want to See Titanic, directed by Timu Nikki and produced by Janie Poso. Trevor, I know you were slotted to see this one. Did you get a chance to watch it? I did. Okay, sweet. Yes. Um, so, this one, uh, finished film. Uh, totally foreign. Yeah, it's about a... Uh, a man with MS who has uh, who is paralyzed from the waist down. He, um, sorry, losing my thought again. Uh, he has a he has a relationship with a with another woman who also deals with uh, some uh, health issues, and he decides to go visit her. She's only three hours away, and he he uh, w- plays virtual blackjack. And he wins like 6,000, whatever the currency is over there. And he gets into some trouble along the way. And he's blind. And Is this a narrative or doc? It's a narrative. Okay, yeah. sweet. What was interesting and made me a little upset <laughs> uh, was, so the entire film is shot from his perspective. So he is always clear and everything around him is fuzzy to like show you how he's blind. Hmm. But the amount of fuzziness that he is seeing is the same amount of fuzziness that I see with my own <laughs> eyes. So it's not a direct representation, just kind of to show the audience that it's not. I think so. Yeah. But it was a moment where I was like, am I more blind than I'm giving myself credit for? No, <laughs> like, I think it just it still wants you to like see yeah. the film. Yeah. So I bet you it was just like well, and trying it to might, communicate. Yeah, because there are some people I think, I think that I on my own... That's beside the point. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> no, this was this was very good. Um, it was a little, it was a little uh, uh, uh f- fanciful maybe. Like he kind of gets away with everything he wants to do. Um, and I think so, just seeing some reading some of the stuff about it on Letterbox. It seems like people were like, well, this seems unrealistic. It seems like the only reason that you're having him like come out on top, so to speak, is because like like you're glorifying that he has these health issues kind of thing. I don't know that I necessarily got that vibe. And it's also a movie. And it, I mean, it played by its own rules. It was fine. He still struggles. <laughs> like he's still, you know, he falls down. He falls out of his wheelchair a couple times and can't get up. And so it just is what it is. But okay, yeah. Um, next, we have the Toxic Avenger, another uh, Lloyd Kaufman uh, movie, but also directed by uh, Michael Hertz and then produced by both of them, uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz. Uh, none of us checked this one out, but this movie has been around since the eighties. So, mm-hmm. um, what we leave behind, uh, directed by uh, Elena uh, Sosa and produced by Emma D. Miller, uh, Elena. Souza, um, co-produced by Isidore Bethel. Um, anybody watch this one? Okay. We've only got a few more here. Uh, we've got the stun, uh, stubbornly independent, uh, block. Um, and there's just a few more. So, uh, stick around. We'll finish these ones up. Uh, attack decay release directed by HB, uh, Mendoza and produced by H 
uh, HP Mendoza, and I think you checked this one out after the fact. I did. Mm-hmm. So uh, give us your thoughts. This one won the uh, overall award mm-hmm. for the weekend. Um, so yeah, how was the award-winning, uh, the Tallgrass Film Festival, Stubberly Independent uh, award-winning Attack to Key release? It was definitely an experience. <laughs> it uh, it was a little experimental. I So the, the screen is actually sp- split into three squares. And it's those three screens that you watch that sometimes operate dependently and sometimes independently of each other. But the story is, is several years ago, the director, he wrote, uh, he wrote this album for his husband and it based, uh, it was, it told a story kind of avant-garde ish, like kind of out there music, you know, um, told a story about humanity leaving earth and going to settle on the moon. Um, and so this film is basically that story just in film form. So the entire thing will tell you what the song title is. It moves in three movements, Attack, Decay, Release. Um, Attack is, I think Attack uh, is the initial spread. talks about the Phoenix virus, um, which I don't think is supposed to be representative of COVID necessarily. I think it's just what it was. Uh, Decay is people like uh, quarantining and things like that. And then actually uh, the earth is decaying and then release is them going to the moon um and living there but uh no it was like i said definitely a little experimental from what i understand he uh at the showing he actually got up and had a ukulele and excuse me played slash sang along to one of the tunes as it changed movements uh from move uh from movement two to movement three so yeah but no definitely it was definitely interesting definitely worth a watch awesome um next we have uh disfluency uh directed by anna Baumgarten, uh produced by danny mooney uh anna uh, Baumgarten, uh elaine uh hastings adele um, I don't think anyone checked that one out, unfortunately. Um, East Bay, directed by Daniel Yoon and also produced by Daniel Yoon. I did see this movie, but... Yeah, you've got something you've yes. got to go to. Um, she'll be right back and she will talk about your movie, uh, Daniel Yoon. Um, she's cooking from some stuff for uh, our brother-in-law. So, <laughs> um, Paris is in Harlem, directed by Christina Callas. I think Tristan uh, saw that one also. <laughs> also produced by that. I, I think she had to miss it if I'm oh, being okay. honest. but nonetheless um and josh uh mandel um the civil dead directed by clay tatum um and also produced by uh cassandra Baruch, uh and mike marosco um and then the unknown county or country did you watch that one no, no? uh marissa maltz um so that is the uh, the end of them. Um, we'll uh, wait a couple seconds uh, for Tristan <laughs> we'll to rush in here. Tristan gets back. Yeah. Um, or maybe you can switch out. See if you can go help Trent. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what else he needs. Yeah. Uh, Demi, just push him on. <laughs> a few second delay. Sorry, guys.
No. That was perfect timing because we had our last five, four movies and no one saw anything but you oh, of these last okay. four. <laughs> so I couldn't, I couldn't keep going. Yeah, um, sorry. Uh, might edit that out, might not. We'll see. Uh, but we have Paris and Halem, uh, Christina Kalos, uh, and uh, was the director. She also produced and so did Josh Mandel. What, was your, uh, what were your thoughts on Paris and Halem? Is in Harlem. I saw I really East Bay. the title. Oh, you saw East Bay. Yeah, My sorry. Bay. Did you see that one though? Paris is I, in Harlem. I had thought, yeah. Okay. I was going I, to, but Trist, I didn't. Trevor thought you had, and I said, I think you were supposed to, and uh, another one ran late. Okay, but anyways, <laughs> East Bay, directed by uh, Daniel Yoon and produced by Daniel Yoon. What were your thoughts on that one? Yeah, so um, first of all, I'd like to apologize because I had to leave a little early. Of oh, this movie, I think it, it and got, you ran into the director on your way out. Yes, it got. <laughs> it started way late, and like I said, I was so stressed out this weekend. And he said it himself that it's a feel bad movie, so I wasn't in very good headspace watching it. But okay, something I really did appreciate was that he, this director, um, it's it's a feel bad movie. It, yeah, so the listen. synopsis is a micro budget comedy drama about a Korean American. Yeah. Okay. So he said that his first feature film was about this guy who I think he had like a disease or illness, cancer, maybe something like that. And it was about like him overcoming that and then like trying to find a new normal and a very like feel good, like happy things at the end, like good ending, all of that. Not good as in well done, but good as in like good things happening to him. And um, it did really well and people enjoyed it. But he was like, he told us this before it started. And he said to himself, like, this isn't always real life. Like, I want to make a movie about like raw human experience, basically, was what it was. And so he said this movie is kind of a feel bad movie. And he actually went into kind of a depressive state when he was editing this movie because he's the main actor and he saw himself as this like beat down like bad headspace person and it really like messed with him seeing himself like that editing a whole feature film watching him be like that um and i can I see could, why i could see that yeah yeah uh so so he said it was a feel bad movie and and then he said if you feel good at the end you weren't paying attention <laughs> um damn yeah, so he, I mean, I really Hard respect hitter. that. Yeah. I respect doing something and realizing that that's not what I want to represent. And kind of, I'm I'm all for making people see hard things because if we're ignorant to those things, we don't grow as people and yeah. we don't become empathetic for others. So, well said. Thank you. I, uh, yeah, I really appreciated it. On the other hand, it was really <laughs> difficult for me in that time to get through. I do wish I could have finished it. Um, I thought it was very well done. It was very interesting to see everything like pan out. Part of it, he was like recording himself on this like kind of mountainside, um, kind of like almost being a narrator, but not really. Um, and then it would go back to him, like, it would show him in the time that he was talking about. 
And then there was a time where he took this girl up there and just things that he said weren't, it's like he wasn't taking advantage of what was right in front of him. Um, and that's hard to see. Like, obviously he didn't, uh, you don't notice it when you're the one in it. Um, but I thought it was very well done. It was, it was funny at times there was, he was like dating this girl who was super spiritual and she had a very thick accent and he didn't totally like agree with the spiritual stuff that she was into. So it was funny seeing like their dynamic and she was kind of a toxic person. I don't know if it was supposed to be that way. I think it was because anytime he would say something, she would say like, you're below me or like, you don't think I'm good or I don't know. It was, it was funny. I, I wish I was in a better headspace when I'd watched it though. <laughs> yeah. That's There are a few times where when you're just running around like crazy and you're getting so many different like genres and, mm-hmm. and, uh, different angles and stuff yeah you're, you're sometimes you're not in the right yeah space and it was to see. the last movie of the night and it was eleven thirty was when it was supposed to be done and i was like i can't i can't do this anymore <laughs> but yeah. i i enjoyed sweet my viewing okay um well that is uh that is everything um so thank you guys so much for listening again if we didn't see your film uh, i'm very sorry we tried to get as much as we could um, but hope you at least enjoyed us uh, highlighting your film um, and reading off uh, all the directors and producers that uh, made the film possible. And thank you guys so much for submitting your thing to Tallgrass. Um, got to talk to a lot of you guys, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and, yeah, this will be our last uh, talking podcast uh, on Tallgrass Film Festival. So um, hope you guys like all of our all of our thoughts and all of your movies and the experience and everything. And um hope to see all you guys uh next year and years to come um so yeah that's it for today's episode um if you like what you listen to just rate review subscribe all that kind of stuff helps us out um if you want uh filmmakers to see your thoughts and whatever you can send it to them or share it retweet it whatever um and uh make sure to check out uh the interviews with the filmmakers which will be um all on youtube um as individual just 10 15 minute long interviews um but i will also put it on the podcast feed if you just want to listen uh and that'll just be one really long episode of all of the uh interviews so you can decide which way you want to really uh uh, listen to it if you want to watch or if you just want to listen but uh make sure to check that one out and check out other episodes on tallgrass if you hadn't checked those out yet um and yeah that's a wrap on tallgrass film festival Talking to me? 150 hours. You talking to me? Well, you're gonna have to there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what an idiot! Well, what do you expect? I'm the movie moron. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Don't call me stupid. Oh, right! To call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people! I've known sheep that could outwit you. Yeah, well, 
you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> man, you are one pathetic loser. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> no, none taken.